Luke chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, is that how we pronounce it? The people were crowding around him and listened to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. I'm going to blame that on Andy. Old people like Andy and their phones going off in the middle of church. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's not Andy, but uh, that's distracting. Thank you. Uh, He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. (laughs) That makes me so happy inside. And he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon saw this, he fell to Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything and they followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God, from the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Dominic. I want to read you. You just missed it. I'm starting a book club. I'm starting a book club. And I want to know, I asked the people and they didn't seem too excited, especially David Dunn. Um, they didn't seem too excited about this first sentence, and so I want to read it to you and see what you think. Ever heard of Scott Erickson? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's okay. You will be when you participate in my book club. You're not? Okay, that was a joke. Here we are. I'm here now. You're here. And what we know about being here is that life is a mixture of sacred moments while letting out a little fart at the same time. Whatever. I take it, Ken Senior, you don't want to be a part of my book club. (laughs) Okay, Uh, the the call of Peter, the fish, the catching of fish, and all that good stuff. I must confess to you, this week as I've been studying this, first of all, to Dad and to Sarah and Ken Steve, it was really helpful to record that podcast a week in advance uh, because it really got me thinking about this way farther in advance than I would have. Uh, so if you're somebody that likes to, uh, wants to record the podcast, talk to us. It really was fun and helpful. But I have to confess, I haven't been able to get away from imagining this scene about fishing and Peter uh, fishing and catching nothing um, without thinking about what a terrible fisher Andy is. Andy uh, was so, did you? I'm so predictable. Uh, Andy was so kind to invite us this summer to Chelan uh, with he and his family, and apparently they have this tradition of having a boat day. And so we got to have a boat day with them. 
Um, but a part of the boat day is, is you just go out in the middle of Lake Chelan and you stop and you allow Andy to fish. And I tell you, we did that several times and we tried several parts of the lake and he didn't catch a thing. I didn't try, but I, w- I, I would add better luck than him. It was, ter- I mean, it was, it was embarrassing really, Andy, to call yourself a fisherman. Um, so when I think of this text, I just want to, I want you to know that in my head, I imagine the part of this text where Peter catches nothing, like if I was to be the person who was going to do a movie of this, um, Andy would play Peter up until the point that Peter is catching nothing. And then what, at, at whatever point Peter starts catching the fish, it, uh, uh, Andy would magically turn into Teddy. Because everything I see from Teddy is when he fishes, he catches a lot. And apparently, Andy, you need to talk to Teddy about what to do. So... Uh, that's how I think about this story. The other thing that I have not gotten past um, is, and are there any Sunday school people that remember, Josh, I'm really curious if you remember this story uh, or this song in Sunday school because you went to Sunday school, Chuck, uh, listen to the podcast if you want that story. Uh, there's a song that goes, I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. I will make you fishers. And I don't know the rest. Yeah, that was fun. Do you remember it? It's almost as good. I may never march in the... Do you remember that one? Ah, it's terrible. We came, Okay, wait, which reminds me, and we will have a sermon. We'll have two sermons in a minute. Bone to pick with you as we're singing. Are we restarting the worship wars? That's the second straight week of hymns. Like, I am clearly now going to be on the side of contemporary music, and I'm going to leave this church... If you don't start singing contemporary music. <laughs> unless, unless if we cannot, next week, let's not do hymns, let's not do contemporary. Can we do some of that old school, like 70s Sunday school? I may never, and then Father Abraham and all that. Okay, that would be great. Yeah, and there's others. What about the butterfly? Isn't there a butterfly song? If I were a butterfly... I thank you, Lord, for giving me wings. Oh, we're losing it. This is great. Mark, do you know these songs? Oh. It's great. My feelings were hurt, and I'm trying to not let that come out in front of you all. Um, Okay, so Peter and the call and the fish. Can we be honest? We know this story. We've all heard this story. This is a call story. Jesus calls. Peter follows. And it's interesting. Ken Steve, my favorite point from the podcast, if you listen to it about the lectionary, my favorite point that Ken Steve made, he didn't know this, but is that he said this story kind of reminds me of the Isaiah 6 story where Isaiah is called, which is interesting that the lectionary puts these two stories together on this day. And and, and eventually when I'm done with the sermon, the very next thing we're going to do is read the Isaiah story. um, And then we're going to sing that song. It's a call story. We know this story. It is the call of Jesus. And we then, as a byproduct, are supposed to now insert ourselves in the story as we, like Peter, are also called to go and to save ourselves. Josh, was you looking at your watch a sign of saying, I think I'm going to need my phone. I probably shouldn't have volunteered it because Sean's going long. (laughs) Which, if it is, I don't know which one it is, but feel free to take it. We can make it happen. Um, 
I can't help but thinking about this call story. Teddy, I, your words yesterday when you were talking about William Booth and feeding the homeless and, and the type of call, because over the years, you just keep coming back to like, uh, that for you is a heartstring moment where investing in uh, the lives of people who don't have food and are hungry, that's, I, I just, I'm, it's, it's a part, I can tell when your heart speaks that that's a part of your call story. Um, others, Regina and Beacon Hill, I just listened yesterday uh, and it, it is a part of the call story. This, this sermon is a part of a call story. And so if I was smart, especially with a second sermon, I would just start stop there and say, we are a people who are called, and the question is, how will we respond to the call? Will we too, like Peter, drop our nets? If I was smart, I'd stop there. I'd say amen. We'd do the blessing. We'd move on. And everyone said, I'm not that smart. I want to make four quick observations. And you know what happens when a preacher says quick absolutely nothing. Four quick observations this morning. First observation, and I want to be careful with all four of these. They are observations. I want to be careful that they don't become an archetype of truth. So so what I mean by that is I observe these things, but that doesn't make them absolutes. So that doesn't mean that this happens every time. But I will say I have seen this happen often. First observation in this text. It is interesting that the call of Jesus to Peter happens in a moment of deep, deep failure on Peter's part. He has given himself to a night of fishing, and like Andy, he has caught nothing. The nets are empty. We are, uh, we are a people who do not like to Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or fill in the blank with whatever the newest uh, social media is. We do not like to document the empty net, net moments. We do not like to document the failure moments. We are a people who like to document the big catch moments. Have you ever had a dream, a hope, a calling, a space in your life where you were like, I have to go down that path. I have to give myself to this. And you go down it and you give yourself to it and you are absolutely convinced it is the place you're supposed to go and the response of going down that path, that moment, that thing, you give yourself to it wholehearted, all energy in, maybe all income in, and it's an empty net. It's a failure. You needed the catch of fish because you got the bills to pay to the dang Romans. And when you brought the net out of the lake, there wasn't even a skunk. It's interesting that the call of Jesus to Peter happens in a moment of failure. Or at least Peter is able to hear the call of Jesus in that moment when he realizes he is in a place of failure. Again, it's not that that is an archetype that it only happens that way. But I find in my life and in life of friends that often, for some reason, we catch vision of the divine, we catch vision of purpose, we catch vision of where we're supposed to go in life in the moments that are often the most painful, depressing, and feel purposeless. Does that resonate with anybody? Second observation. Again, not an archetype, but an observation. 
that it's not just good enough in this moment of deep uh, 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 loss, of this moment of failure for Peter to now just quickly respond, okay, let's throw our nets down. Uh, but, but Jesus first says, before you put your nets down, we got to go to the deep end of the lake. It's interesting to get a little nerdy with you in the Greek. The language for the deep should make us think back to the primordial waters of chaos that we find in Genesis. It should make us go back to the Exodus waters of liberation where God, God asked the people of God to enter into slaves and they come out free people. It should make us go back to the Joshua waters where they, they have to enter in first before the waters recede back to the Adam. That, that, to think back to our podcast, if you want to talk about it, Josh has some good water stories for us on uh, our podcast. Um, that before Peter can move from this failure to the abundance that Jesus is inviting him into, it doesn't just start with the easy move of, okay, where we're at, let's put the nets down, but he first has to go to the deep end. Have you ever had a moment of failure where the dreams, the hopes, the visions you thought were supposed to be didn't turn out, and yet you get re-reminded, okay, I think I'm still supposed to go down that road, but going down that road a second time in a deeper way makes absolutely no sense. No sense emotionally, no sense for your family, no sense financially, no sense to any of your friends, and yet you absolutely know, I just got to keep going deeper. Like people are laughing at you or behind your back at a party grabbing a drink and thinking, what is what is that person doing? And yet you're absolutely convinced, I've got to invest in that, do that, be there. And it is only when you go to the deep end that makes no sense to anybody else that you find you find the abundance of the catch. Second observation is, sometimes we have to be willing to go to places that are deep and don't make sense. Third observation, I, and by the way, I think I'm actually going pretty quick. Sometimes I stall and like, and this is good. Uh, thanks, Dominic. You even shook your head. Um, third observation. Again, this is not an archetype. It's not always this way, but often I find it this way. I don't know if you've noticed, Andy kind of hit on this a little bit in Sunday school, that we in the church can be a bit judgy sometimes. We in the church can have a bit of a high standard of rules to follow and things to do and things not to do, and you can come do those things with us as long as you follow the rules uh, that we have. Uh, don't go look up the Nazarene manual online. We have a bunch of things, and, and, and some of them are okay, and some of them, I, I well, I stop there. <laughs> They're all okay. It's interesting to me the response in this moment of calling and deep water. What does Peter say? Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Now, if you're like me and you've grown up in Western evangelical Christianity, sinner may have some bad connotations for you. It may come with a fair bit of baggage because sinner has often been uh, convoluted and hijacked with you don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with the person um, that you want to date that do. I even got Walter laugh in a sermon. This is my favorite Sunday ever. So we come up with all these rules, and in the Nazarene rules over time, you've had lots of rules, like we don't play cards, or um, we don't go to co-ed swimming pools, or yeah, lots of lots of, and so so right then that is how we then define sin. Um, I actually, my favorite definition of sin is the culpable disturbance of shalom. So the ways in which we are culpable of disturbing God's love, God's shalom. But 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 here, I don't even think that's what what Luke is trying to get at. I think sinner here refers to Peter as somebody who did not 
practice religion well enough based on his tradition. So when Peter says to Jesus, get away from me, I am a sinner, I think what Peter is saying is I didn't go to synagogue last week, and I frankly don't go to synagogue enough, and I haven't sacrificed the way the Torah says I'm supposed to sacrifice, and I'm not ritually clean. In our modern-day translation, um, for Peter to say sinner, if he was in 2022, it would be, I don't go to church at least 50% of the time, I haven't paid tithes since 2017, and I said a curse word when I went golfing. Uh, that's, I don't know, maybe. There's got to be a better one than that. I make fun of Andy's Sunday school. What I think Peter is saying to Jesus is, you don't want me. I'm not the, I'm not the good church person. I, I, uh, how many of you hate, if for young parents who have young kids, how many of you hate like kindergarten drop-off? It is so awkward for me as an introvert. I try my best, but I find it awkward. But I also, I also like hear, you know, I'm, I'm trying to listen to other people's conversation to see if there's good in, ways in. I, because I'm an introvert, I never do. But I heard this one conversation this week from a mom who they were talking about their kids gathering and, and all the kids, it's a Friday. I must have been hopped up on sugar that morning. Like everyone had pancakes with extra syrup. And like I could hear the parents like, oh, I'm so sorry for Miss Kate. That's going to be crazy. And, and, and one of the moms was talking to another mom about the sass of her kid. And she's like, I was never that sassy. I was like a little church girl. But don't you, right, that's the language we use. We, little church girls, little church boys, we went, in the church, we're supposed to be good little church boys. Peter, when he says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner, he is essentially saying, I'm not a good church boy. So again, this isn't an archetype, but it is an observation. Isn't it interesting that sometimes the people who are least the good church boy and good church girl are the best Jesus followers? Now, following Jesus is going to take some life change. Get that. But I think sometimes we in the church, uh, uh, we put some barriers up because we got a lot of rules that we ask people to follow, and Jesus doesn't seem too interested in those rules. He said, hey, just come follow. I don't care if you went to synagogue last week. Observation number four. Observation number four hits me, and it is the abundance of the moment. Again, this is an archetype. It's not universal, and abundance goes a lot of ways, and it's not always monetary. But it is interesting, in following this Jesus, there is an abundance to that kind of life that is offered. I've been, uh, I, Jesse, I hope you don't make fun of me like you did last week, because that hurt my feelings too. Um, but I, I have, I podcasting, again, if you listen to Josh's and I's podcast, has been on my heart and mind for like four years. And there's lots of reasons I haven't, but one of the reasons I haven't is just because I've frankly been afraid. Because once you hit upload, it's now up there, it's out there, and people can hear it, and, and what might they think? Um, so I now have two church podcasts out, but I have this third one I want to do for fantasy baseball. I'm going to be called the Roto Pastor. I think I, I said that last week because I play Roto fantasy baseball. If you want to know more about that, you can ask me. Um, but for a long time, I've not wanted to put my baseball stuff out there because there's so many people out there that are doing the thing. That What if I don't have a voice? What if I can't do it? What if I'm not good enough? Have you ever had something you felt like you're supposed to do and that in the back of your head it's like, what if I'm not good enough yet? Like very clearly in about three weeks or about three weeks ago, I had this, I was reminded of the Walter Brueggemann quote that I, I often bring. And it is that quote that says, we do not live in a world that practices um, the myth of scarcity. 
but we are a people, the people of God, who are called to practice the liturgy of abundance. And so part of me uploading these podcasts in the last week is just me every day trying to remind myself whether that podcast was good or whether it wasn't, that I'm uploading it not to a scarce world, but I'm uploading it to a world that is practicing a liturgy of abundance. So one of the things, if we want to be a people that follows this Jesus, we've got to stop looking at the world through this lens of scarcity and ask, what would it be like to see the world as full of the abundant, transcendent nature of the divine that is love, willing to swim, willing to sink, willing to fish in a boat like that? Are you with me? Because this is a call story, like Isaiah, where the divine just shows up and says, whom shall I send? And the words we are invited to say is like that of Peter, like that of Isaiah. Here am I, send me. Jesse, will you come? And will you read that text for us before we sing uh, this old hymn? And then we have sermon number two. From the prophet Isaiah, chapter six. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne, the edges of his robe filling the temple. Winged creatures were stationed around him, each had six wings. With two, they veiled their faces. With two, their feet. And with two, they flew about. They shouted to each other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. All the earth is filled with God's glory. The doorframe shook at the sound of their shouting, and the house was filled with smoke. I said, Mourn for me. I'm ruined. I'm a man with unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heavenly forces. Then one of the winged creatures flew to me, holding a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed and your sin is removed. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, Whom should I send and who will go for us? I said, I'm here. Send me the word of our God who is for us. Thanks be to God. I, the Lord of sea and sky, I have heard my people cry, all who dwell in dark and sin, my hand will save. I, who made the stars of night, I will make their darkness bright. Who will bear my light today? Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard. you 
started too soon. <laughs> Sermon number two, and this one will be very short, I hope. Jesse, what are you doing here? Okay. Um, and I have to confess, and, and whoa, I'm your Jesse. Jesse. Uh, this one, I... It's really bad Emily's here today because she had, you know, she went to theology school. So uh, this is almost embarrassing. Uh, I'm not going to start holding this. Uh, I've ordered some weights, by the way, to hold this. So it's going to be great starting next week. Um, that sermon was what we call in, in, in theology nerdy school an exegetical sermon. So I started with the text. I exegeted the text. And I pulled from the text and let the text hopefully speak to us this morning. This part two is absolutely not an exegetical sermon. This isn't what we call an iso, right, Emily? Is it isogetical sermon? Something like that, where I am isolating something I clearly want to say, making the text say it, so that I can, you know, do something for us or with us as a congregation, and my professors would hate it, so forgive me. Um, but I just want you to know that. I'm doing that. I, I fully admit that. I will say before I do that, that if there's anybody here who has something in your life that you've been feeling like, hey, I think I'm supposed to do that. I think I should do this. I think I should go down that path. And you've had that, 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 that part of you that's like, yeah, but I don't know if I really want to go into it. Photography, Kristen. <clears throat> um, I would just say do it. Cast, cast that net deep, because you got it. Because um, sometimes you just got to do stupid things like quitting your job during a pandemic and going to a field you've never worked and starting something new that has no guarantees. Right, Josh? Amen. Cast the net deep. I, I think our church, and I, th so maybe this is a little, this is like 40% exegetical and 60% the other. Um, I think there's a deep 
think there's a deep water for our church that needs some, some nets let down in the coming years. Especially as we're coming to the end of the structured portion of our development. Especially as, as COVID is, I mean, it's still there, so I, I don't want to downplay that by any means, but, but the world is thinking about what is it like to live with it as, as an endemic kind of thing. Um, and as we, for years, had conversations about a coffee shop, we, for years, had conversations, I mean, some of us have talked about, I guess this one we haven't had for years, but some of us had talked about what would it be like to do like a, a non-alcoholic bar? Um, what would it be like to continue to use this space for the community? What would it be like to continue to open up downstairs for hospitality hours to, for folks who are less fortunate to do laundry and grab a shower? And, um, what, would it, what would it be like to, 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 to continue to be present in this community, living as a community that sees ourselves, giving ourselves away in mission in the community in ways that become sustainable, not just for the next six months or year or two years, but for the next generation? Um, it's interesting in this text that at the very end of it, it says that they dropped their nets and they left it. And if you go to most commentaries, most commentaries just assume that means they left it behind. That meant the next person came behind and they got some free boats and some free fish or something. I think the chosen actually is more accurate here. I think the chosen seems to imply that what happened is probably uh, Zebedee <laughs> came along and helped get the fish and go take care of the tax issues and pay the bills and get the boats to the right place and and so I would argue, I know I, I haven't read a commentary that says this, but the chosen does, and they've got to be right. I would argue that not only is this a call story for Peter, but there's some financial implications in this story. That potentially Peter's ability to leave behind his net and go and follow into the deep waters now of fishing for people is in part because of this um, liturgy of abundance that was practiced in this moment where he's able to settle his bill with Matthew, the tax collector in his area. He's able to go and to follow. So what am I doing here in an isogetical way that uh, 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 in taking from the text to do something that I want? Uh, I think, and this is my interpretation, um, I think that Bro has in the last few weeks as he's been talking to me, had a Peter in a boat go to the deep waters and let down your net moment. I hope it's okay to talk about you, Bro. But I, I didn't ask you to do this, but I'm just going to do it, hoping we love each other. We share the same birthday, so you can't be mad at me. But I mean, bro, honestly, let's, and I don't mean this as a joke, bro, you haven't been around regularly for a while. I do not mean that as a joke. Like, I, I'm not even, like, life happens, so there's no even judgment behind it. Um, but bro started coming around a bit. And then he started talking to my dad and I about this business he's doing and some ways in which he would like to use the benefits he has um, as knowledge, the benefits he has with his business, and the, business, the benefits that just all the way around to continue to help us as a church to go into the deep end and to let down our nets. Specifically, what he's talked about is with his company coming in and tearing out downstairs all of the old tile. And, and how many of you know the, the old kind of, pol not the, old, the polished concrete look that's really popular? It's really super nice, and it transforms spaces. Essentially, that's what Bro's company does, and it helps mitigate water issues, which we've had, and, and all sorts of things. And Bro has now, um, uh, I think, having talked to him several times, uh, I think a part of a Peter moment, in a boat moment, in a deep end, in a net moment, put in a bid 
the for a church our size is incredibly affordable and saves a ton of money um, if you just did the square footage uh, if you do the square footage that he's bid versus where we would bid if we went to somebody else it's um, incredibly affordable but essentially it's about a thirteen thousand five hundred dollar bid to do the entire basement um, we have about six thousand dollars up here to save to do this floor and so we are going to be thinking about when we do that soon um, but bro has volunteered, and in fact, bro, help me. You've essentially cleared out your next month to do it if we can go forward with it, right? So what he said is he would come in and spend two weeks doing the basement, and then, even though that's not part of the bid, come upstairs and work with me and Herman and others. Jesse, I know you've talked about volunteering up here to do the floors too, and, and take what would be a six, Jess, or Jeffrey, what would be a six to eight week job, and just we'd bust it out in a month, basement and upstairs. Um, and so I'm going to be, my dad and I are going to be meeting with some folks and talking with the board this week just to say, is there any way to get even part of it? He's even inclined that maybe if we got like half of it and then use some money that we have coming in from some rental space to kind of pay out. The, there's different implications for how we could go about it. Um, and I'm not throwing this out there like we have to do it. I am throwing this out here like Peter that says, let's put the net down and let's see if the fish come up. And so the, here's the ask. Um, if you would be willing to contribute $50, $25, $10, $100, $1,000, I don't know. Maybe you're watching this online. We will post this online. Uh, maybe more. We want to be the sacramental presence of Christ in our neighborhood. Part of being the sacramental presence of Christ in our neighborhood is having space to gather for the rhythms of worship that is good. But part of the Part of being the sacramental presence of Christ is recognizing God has given this building, so how do we give it away to our neighbors as a gift? And part of being the sacramental presence is how do we do that sustainably? So how do we use our space to help create sustainability for a future generation like Tanner and Parker, like Alyssa and Alana, like Peyton, like Addie, Charlie, to have a space where they can grow up and have encounters with the divine, asking big questions. And so oh, we're throwing it out there. This is the deep end. It's a net. There's no judgment. I recognize money's tight. We're in a pandemic. And so if you cannot help, I totally get it. No judgment. Um, maybe you, all you can do is light a candle and just pray for us. But if you can, would you consider it? Some of you may be asking, Sean, you just had a development. Why are you asking for this? Um, Here's the thing. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Um, and I got, we got to go. So I'll, I'll do this, and then we're going to do offering, then we're going to do communion, we're going to do it so fast. Here's what happened. If you remember during our development, we entered into an agreement, and then the city came up with what are good, uh, I think, at least a good cause. I'm not smart enough to know about the actual legislation and how they're going to enact it, but at least the heartbeat of the city was right in wanting to deal with low-income housing. For us, it hit us um, in that we had set up a development in such a way that we had expected to get out of it with a certain price point, and we actually ended up doing fairly well for ourselves, but we ended up not getting about probably $120,000 to $130,000 of profit somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe. You're not nodding your head. Am I wrong? Okay, uh, he's not. Nodding. We'll go with it. Um, that, that we had assumed we were going to get that would have gone farther. Um, 
And so we have done really as well as we can for people who didn't hire a general contractor and who did a lot of it volunteer, who paid for a lot. But the, but the reality is, is that that money that ended up going to that, um, that ended up, hey, David, can you go into the nursery, please? <laughs> that money ended up, um, we, it affected us. Projects that we had hoped to be able to do in the beginning, we ended up not being able to do. Uh, and so, so we, that's where we find ourselves. And in the, in the grand scheme of things, we're probably to finish the windows, to finish all the projects, we're going to need to raise another 50,000. But this 13, we believe comes at a moment where we want to cast a net and we want to go to the deep end. And so this is our, this is our moment. And, and would you at the very least pray with us? And if you can help, would you do so? And this is, I know, really awkward, but we're going to make the pivot and, um, we're going to go to the offering of our hearts and lives. <laughs> if you can help, great. If you can't, grab a cup of coffee, great. Light a candle, great. Um, pray for Bonnie, who we miss, and who we talked about at Sunday school, who can have visitors. And so she has, Sylvia, you were saying dialysis on Wednesdays, thir- Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And so um, if you'd like to visit her on Mondays, Wednesdays, or Fridays in the afternoon, um, I think she'd love to have visitors um, pray. There's lots of things, and I didn't bring my paper up that my dad gave me because I don't know why, but there's lots of things to pray for. Uh, but pray for us. Pray for us as individuals. Pray for us as the church as we lean into this moment. Whether we raise the money or not, we're still going to be the church. And so pray for us as we attempt to do our best to follow into the deep end and to cast our nets. And again,